Hi, this is Chelsea Vale. You have found the Whole Heart Podcast, a podcast for conscious parents who want to do things differently. Parenting the Whole Heart way is about love, connection, play, and raising our children naturally. It can get, at times, a little bit crunchy. Let's jump in. If I were to ask you to sit down and make a list of things that you want for your children, what shows up on pretty much everybody's list is kind, happy, friendly, successful, and always responsible. I see responsible show up on everybody's list, but how do you get a child um, to be responsible and to be a responsible adult at that? Believe it or not, it starts very, very, very early on. Our trust in our children's capabilities and our trust in their ability to be responsible and to be successful and achieve tasks that we've laid out for them starts at the very early stages. When you have a baby, you're not forcing them to sit up and crawl and all of that, but you know that they'll do so when they're ready. You're providing opportunities for them to reach those milestones and you trust that they are capable of those things. You trust that your child is capable of sitting up, crawling, walking, talking, feeding themselves. Um, You trust that one day they'll be able to read. Um, And so by allowing our children to have opportunities to show us that they can do things, we're giving them our trust in their capabilities and their ability to develop and learn, right? If we want our children to be responsible, it's the same. We have to provide opportunities for them to prove responsible and practice responsible behavior with a little bit of guidance. Rule of thumb, if a kid can do it, a kid should do it. Think about some of the most simple things that you do every day for your child without even realizing it that they actually could do themselves. Do you set the table? Could your two-year-old set the table with plastic or or stainless steel or wood, you know, cups or plates and things like that? Some two-year-olds can even handle um, glass plates with a little bit of guidance. This is glass or this is made of ceramic. This would break if you dropped it. Is this something that you should hold with one hand or would two hands be safer? What are your thoughts? They might say, oh, two hands. And now you've given them trust. I trust that you're capable of doing this. If it breaks, we'll clean it and all will be well. Two hands and then they can set it down. Will there be breaks? Probably. But if they break a glass and you're calm and respectful and kind, Next time, will they probably hold on tighter? Hopefully. If you lose your cool and get upset with them when they fail at a task, what will they probably learn from you? To never try it again, right? We want our children to know mistakes are part of it. This is about learning. Just like if your child was walking or learning to walk and they fell flat on their little heinies, you wouldn't yell at them for not being able to walk yet, right? So when they're toddlers and they're trying to assert independence and practice new responsible behavior, we want to let them know it's okay to mess up. My kids break things all the time and they look at me and go, sorry, next time I got to hold on tight, huh? Or wow, my hands were really slippery. I should have dried them. And I usually know right away I'm handing them a wine glass to put up on the shelf for me. And I know their hands are covered in syrup or olive oil or whatever it is. And I'm setting them up for failure because I want to let them know hey, your hands are sticky or your hands are slimy. You're probably going to drop this glass. I'm going to be okay with that because I know that I'm providing for you the opportunity to learn. You should wash and dry your hands before handling something fragile. So I get excited about those opportunities. That takes a little bit of training, a little bit of, of introspection, say, okay, am I okay allowing my child to, to learn in that sense? And not everybody's capable of that and comfortable with that level of learning. But 
Um, think to yourself, start out small. If a kid can do it, a kid should do it. Beyond setting the table and putting away some dishes and things like that, kids can help with very simple things like dropping the food that was uneaten into the compost or the trash can, recycling things. Perhaps they can carry some recyclable items out to the curb where you put your recycling or your trash. A young child can sort clothes from the laundry colors versus white. My kids were doing that at just a year old. I would say, this is a pile where everything colorful and beautiful goes. This is a pile where all of the towels go. This is the pile where everything white goes. This is where diapers go because they were cloth diapered. And we would divide all of the laundry into you know different piles. They can also put away laundry. If you take it out, you fold it. You say, come on in here. Do you know where your pants go? And if they don't, you pull out the drawer. This is where pants go. And then they're helping you to put the way pants. This is how they also learn how organization works and categorization works and sorting. And they're feeling responsible and you're allowing them to participate in the daily chores, which also unifies a family, provides a little bit of a rhythm and lets them know it takes work to be part of a family. It takes being responsible and it takes contributing to work together. And they're experiencing a sense of mastery and togetherness and acceptance. And the best part is when they fail or when they struggle to laugh and go, I used to do things like that too when I was little. That is so silly. Let's try it again. Keeping things light and most importantly, sending them the message, I trust you. I trust that you're capable. Another thing that you can do is keep things at a child's level. In my home, I have a built-in bookcase. Everything that is above their, um, their head, where their head is, is not for touching. Everything that is at their level, their eye level and below, is for touching. I have all of my personal things at the top, all of their personal things at the bottom. They don't climb the shelves. They don't interfere with my things. They might touch a book and go, Mommy, this is your book. Yes, that is my book. It's on my shelf. Could you show me something that's on your shelf? And they'll go to their shelf. That's a book that's on your shelf. Would you like to read that book? Very easily redirecting them to where these are your things, these are my things, and we respect each other's you know, privacy and belongings. But everything at their level is free reign. I never tell them they can't dump toys or pull books off of the shelf or that there's a toy that's off limits for whatever reason. Everything that's on their level is for them. Same thing goes with their clothes. In the morning I say, it's warm outside today. Should you wear short sleeves or long sleeves? And I let them know, oh yeah, if it's warm, I should probably wear some short sleeves. Go ahead and pick out your clothes. They could come out with the most outlandish things sometimes, especially my little one, Cash. He comes up with some silly outfits, but he does know how to dress himself, and I've allowed him to be that independent. I also have a shoe bin that is at their level. When they come into the house, I give the freedom to remove your shoes, but you don't have to. In some homes, it's a rule to remove the shoes, and I understand that that's okay. This is the place where we remove our shoes, and then you allow them to choose where it goes. Do you want to put it in this bin or that bin? Or perhaps you'd like to keep them outside. Um, same thing with the hat. Last year, I got um, little coat racks that were at their level, and I just placed them on the wall, the little command strips. And so when they came in from the rain or the cold, they could hang up their own hat, they could put away their shoes, and they could hang up their um, coat. They now are in school and they have backpacks. I've created a place for backpacks because I want to create a rhythm. When you come in, you take off your shoes, you hang up your coat, you place your backpack over there for the next thing. Is there anything in the backpack we need to be responsible for? And they reach in, oh yes, I forgot I have my art. I need to put my art in the art bin. Or all of my snack is eaten, so what should I do with my sandwich wrap or whatever um, dish that, that it was used today. And they are responsible for taking care of those things. They're also responsible for packing their backpack the next day. I say, hey guys, it's almost time for school. What goes in your backpack? I'm teaching this because 
as they get older and they're five years old and six years old and seven years old, I don't want to have to do that thinking for them. I don't want to have to be responsible responsible for packing everybody's backpack every day and for rummaging through there to see if there's anything that the teacher you know wanted me to sign or take a look at. They are excited and it's become part of their rhythm and it will become part of their routine. Same thing goes with brushing the teeth. Everything is at their level. Even water. I realized when they were about a year old, I was really tired of filling up water every single day. So I got a couple of stainless steel mugs and I placed them at their level. I got a water jug, put it at their level and said, hey guys, whenever you need water, this is the place to get water. You may choose a cup and here's how you do it. Hmm, when should I stop filling up the water? And I taught them about self-control. If you only want a little bit of water, you stop it here. If you want a full cup, you should stop it here. Otherwise, you might spill it when you're walking. And I allowed them to struggle with that. There were so many days of spilled water and slip and sliding on the floor. And um, usually when there was a mess, they would go, "Uh uh-oh, I spilled. But you know what I do? I say, in our family, a kid who makes a mess is a kid who picks up the mess. How might we clean up this mess right here. Sometimes they would just put their foot out and move it around thinking that it would disappear. And I, huh, that was a nice try, but that didn't really work. Is there something else that we could do? And I allow them to be a part of the problem solving process. So to them in the future, when they make a mess, they know automatically, I know where the towels are. Towels work. It didn't work when I moved it around with my hands or my bare feet, but it did work when I used a towel. And they love cleaning up their messes. In fact, sometimes when we cook together, oh my goodness, they get so messy with flour and rice and salt, but I'm never upset. I never say, oh my gosh, you're making a huge mess or cut that out or anything, because I know when a child makes a mess, a child cleans a mess, and they are very well of that too. And after a couple of times of saying, you made a big mess while we were cooking, here's the broom, here's the dustpan, let me know when you're done. They love cleaning at this age. As they get older, they don't like cleaning as much. It's not really a novelty anymore. It starts to be kind of a nuisance, but they do know that that expectation is set. And so they start to develop self-control and managing their own behavior. So maybe when we're cooking together, they're more careful when they dump something in a bowl or they're careful when they stir because they don't want to make a mess because they have to clean up the mess. So it prevents a lot of parent-child struggles and it helps to develop self-control. Remember in the last episode, I mentioned that... um, One rule of thumb is a parent who always remembers has a child who always forgets. One thing that a lot of parents do that I would caution you against is rescuing your child from frustration or experiencing disappointment. For example, when a child calls home and says, mom, I forgot my lunch, the logical natural consequence is for the child to be hungry and that's really hard to get behind. Now when they're in elementary, they don't let the child starve, but they do give them a pretty crappy lunch. They either give them something from the cafeteria or the teacher perhaps has a granola bar and some pretzels in her purse that she shares. It's embarrassing, they're hungry, they're exhausted when they get home and instead of, well yeah, you shouldn't have forgotten your lunch and if this wouldn't have happened and you would have had a better day and blah, 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 which is lecturing and also taking responsibility for that, seal it in with empathy and love and understanding. Oh my, you must be starving because you forgot your lunch. I know what that's like. Gosh, I am always hungry when I forget my lunch. It is just the worst. Is there a snack I could make you and perhaps we'll have an early dinner? Loving them and letting them know, I know you'll make a decision next time to prevent yourself from that same feeling. Um, Forgetting homework is a very common thing. A lot of parents rescue the child and homework can start in at 18 months old. I was shocked that I had to bring Valentine's to the Mother's Day Out program when my boys were only about 18 months, not even two years old. 
we forgot it and they didn't have them. And so I thought, well, this is a learning you know, opportunity for them that they need to maybe remind me of something that's happening at school or they need to be more responsible for putting something together. But we have to allow our children to forget their science project, to not pack their deodorant when they've got a three-hour soccer game you know, later in the day or with really young children, allowing them some of that struggle. I didn't have my water bottle today, so I had to borrow the teachers and it tasted yucky. There was coffee at the bottom or you know, whatever it is allowing them to struggle a little bit at an age appropriate level is the only thing that's really going to teach them to be responsible for their own behavior and develop self-control. And ultimately what we want for our kids is faith in themselves and faith in their capabilities and knowing that we have faith in what they're capable of as well. Um, talking about responsible kids really reminds me of this cute little boy that I taught when I was teaching kindergarten. Bless his heart. Poor little Corbin. He was so tiny and so precious and just one of the sweetest boys. And he was uh, one of those kiddos that could get to school a little bit early and get breakfast and then he would come into the classroom. And he would bring his breakfast with him into the classroom. And almost every single day for what seemed like eternity, he would spill his chocolate milk all over the table. Part of that probably was because he was too small to really reach the top of the table effectively, but he would spill the chocolate milk and he would have a meltdown at the beginning. And I would be there, oh, Corbin, this is so sad. You spilled your chocolate milk everywhere. And he would go, yeah, oh, what are we going to do? And I'd say, I don't know. And then I'd give the, the problem back to him lovingly. What are you going to do? He would go, I don't know. It's really messy. Oh, it's getting all over my stuff. And I would say, yeah, it is. It's spreading everywhere. And you're probably thinking, well, why didn't you help him clean it up? Because it's not my problem to clean up. He's five. He is capable of cleaning up chocolate milk. And if I rescue him by cleaning up the chocolate milk, he'll probably do it again. And he did. Sure enough, spills it the next day. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And the first time that he cleaned it up, he went to the tissue box in the classroom and tried to clean it up. Well, if you can imagine tissues on top of chocolate milk, it didn't really go very well. It wasn't very effective, and it was a mess. And it was getting all over his backpack. It was getting all over his hands. It was sticky. It was a full process. The next day, he tried it with paper towels, but he only grabbed about two paper towels which didn't work. So he's running back and forth to the bathroom. Again, it's spreading. People are getting mad because the table's covered. And then it was also kind of sticky. After the third or fourth day of doing this, he was so cautious with his chocolate milk. In fact, I think there was even a point in time where he started drinking all of it before he came to class. That is what we want for our kids to be responsible, to take ownership of their problems, to be responsible, not only when they make a mess, physically, but even socially, when they have a problem with their peers or they said something that they shouldn't have said, or perhaps they offended the teacher or they stole something from a convenience store. If we take on the problem, we're preventing our children from the learning opportunity that comes with creating a problem. If you have an older child and they have a problem that perhaps costs money, that is their problem to solve. Even though you're the only one that has money, there's other things they can do. You could say, gosh, that's going to cost us about $50 to fix the window that you threw the baseball through. How are you going to help us with that? And the kid might say, well, I don't have any money. You're right. You don't have any money. Um, if you were working for me, I'd probably pay you about $10 an hour, which means in five hours, I'll feel like we've broken even. What are some things you can do to help out to pay for 
you know, what I'm, the, the window that I'm paying for. How are we going to do this? And perhaps the child can brainstorm some things that they can do. Regular chores and contributions don't count. They need to be extra things, like perhaps he's washing the windows or an older child could mow the lawn. If it's a really young kid, perhaps um, there's some toys that you don't really use anymore. Maybe we could sell some of those toys to pay for the mistake that you made. Even a young child should be taking responsibility for their actions and the choices that they make and recognizing that things don't just magically get fixed. Just because you made a a mistake doesn't mean that someone's going to swoop in and solve the problem. We're responsible for our own choices and we're responsible for um, suffering the logical or natural consequence. There's not always a natural consequence and that's why I say logical. A natural consequence is if I forget my coat and I go outside in the cold, I'm going to be cold. A logical consequence is, you know, maybe if the child um, forgets their homework and, um, you know, they get a zero or something like that. Oh, actually, sorry, that's a natural consequence. But logical consequence is something that you intervene as the parent and, uh, you know, giving a consequence that fits the crime, punishment that fits the crime. That would be a logical consequence. And those are not always readily available. Sometimes you kind of have to think about it. But if we get mad or angry or we lecture, Believe it or not, that's actually you taking ownership of the problem and preventing the child from doing the thinking about the problem. But a wise parent allows the child to be responsible for the problem by using a problem-solving method that kind of goes like this. Wow, that's really hard. Okay, that's the empathy. That's really hard. That's a big problem. Oh my goodness. And then lovingly hand the problem back. What do you think you're going to do? allowing the child to be in their brain a little bit, thinking of something, they might not be able to come up with something. And so then you ask if they maybe want some help. Would you like some assistance coming up with a plan? Or would you like to know what other kids try? Offer a couple of creative solutions and see if the child can choose something that might work for their needs. Sometimes kids come up with something even better than what you could have come up with. But either way, you're modeling how to solve a problem, take responsibility, and take corrective action. I love talking about raising responsible kids because I think that this is something that people start with their children way too late. When our children are little, we rescue them so much. That's the helicopter parenting. We rescue them from bumping their head or from falling over. Or um, even when kids are fighting and squabbling, we rescue them by saying, no, 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 don't do that. He's not going to like that. Instead of allowing the kids to realize, wow, everybody ran away from me when I made that loud sound. Or um, when I started spitting at people, everyone was crying and they didn't like that. We can't rescue our children from those types of things. We have to allow them to experience it. There's a really great blog that I would encourage you to read. If you just look in Google, please don't help my kids. There's a a blog that I read in a lot of my parenting classes that I just love. And it's a, a woman at the playground talking to other parents in her blog saying, please don't help my kids. I'm sitting right here. There's a reason I'm not helping them to the top of the slide. And I'm not getting up and helping them when they're hurt or, you know, when they're wanting to climb to the top of this or get on the swings or whatever. Because if I do that, I am teaching them that it doesn't take effort to get to the top. And I am robbing them of the opportunity. I did not bring them to the playground to be at the top. I brought them to the playground to learn how to climb. And that is a metaphor for life itself and parenting. I am not going to make you successful. I am not going to make you win and make you first and make you the best. It is your job to experience hardships, failures, mistakes, disappointments, and struggles. You are capable of surviving. You are capable of coping. Most importantly, you are capable of learning from your own mistakes, which is why, as a parent, we caution you against using anger 
lecture, or threats. If you have to remind a child why something occurred or why a consequence was issued, you are telling them or sending them the message, you are incapable of learning from your own mistake. And that is not the message we want to send to our children. Everything that we do, we want to send them the message, you are loved, you are capable. And beyond that, my mantra, I hear you, I see you, I understand, and I care. And you will raise responsible children when you step back as a parent and allow them the opportunity to learn for themselves. Thank you so much for listening to the Whole Heart Podcast. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcast, or wherever it is that you get your podcast. I would also greatly appreciate a review, and I'd love to hear what you like and what you don't like. And if you have a specific question for me, you can always email me at chelsea at joinwholeheart.com. I'd also greatly appreciate a follow on Instagram at joinwholeheart. I provide content about single motherhood, taking care of my young boys, playing around the city of Austin, and lots of good open-ended play and play-based learning can be found in my stories. Again, please subscribe. Thank you for listening. Be well. When I first started my career as a parenting specialist, I was teaching a lot of curriculums, research-based proven curriculums. And I found that I liked some of what I was you know, reading and listening to, and I didn't really like some of the other things. And I started kind of picking and choosing from different techniques and introducing them in my workshops. And I reached a point with my reputation among the community that friends and family and um, people who were attending my workshops were saying, we'd rather just hear from you. Uh, we checked out a book on you know love and logic or we checked out a book on no drama but you do some things with your kids that we've overheard or in some of your stories there was a way that you said something that you know really stood out to me and um, you know when people comment on that for a while it was like this is kind of subconscious I didn't even realize what I was doing um, but because I know what children need and, and I, I have the training to say things in a certain way to get children to respond I realized I was doing a lot of the same things um, all the time that were just working. And I started to develop these, um, sentence stems is what I call them because I can't necessarily train everybody to talk to children the way that I do. I would love if I could, I wish that all of us talk to children, um, the way that, you know, a play therapist or a teacher or so forth is, is trained. Um, but it's really hard to teach that, especially in a, you know, 15 or 20 minute podcast or an hour long, um, session with a family. And so I developed what I call sentence stems and these sentence stems really work across the board with children. And it takes a little bit of practice to get, um, them to be really a part of, you know, your daily, um, repertoire with your kids. But, um, I'll introduce one that I, I, I like to talk about in family settings, but also in a classroom setting. Um, it starts with we're a family who, or this is a class where, um, and we do that to create cohesiveness and bonding amongst the people in the family or in the classroom. And I'll give you an example. I might say, we're not a family who hits, and that's a way of correcting hitting behavior. We're a family who loves one another. We're a family who hug. We're a family who sleeps together. I say things like that to help my children to feel connected and also um, with maybe like daily rhythm. So let's pretend I'm setting the table and they're busy playing and, you know, it would be very easy just to say, okay, keep playing and then you can just eat at the coffee table or, you know, let me know when you're hungry. But that's not the type of family that I want to have. I want a rhythm and I want a family that eats together and sits down and has a conversation about the day. And so when they 
you know, try to argue with me and they say, no, I don't want to come to the table or I'm busy or maybe later I say, I know you're busy right now. That's how I always start by using empathy and validating their feelings. But we're a family who eats together because I want to seal in the expectation that we eat together as a family and that is a value that I have for us and that is important to me. We're a family who eats together. When they don't want to go somewhere with me to the store or the car, we're a family that rides together because we enjoy each other's company. I want that in their head. I want to get to a point where when we go and do things, they're looking forward to that because they know this is family time. Um, Same thing in the classroom. We're a classroom who walks quietly in the hallway. We're a class who respects others. Um, I'm a teacher who has high expectations for your behavior. Those types of things provide cohesiveness, also help you to set a rhythm, and help you to manage problem behaviors. We're not a family that acts like that. I have to say that at restaurants all the time. Or I might even go so far as to say, um, please act like a child who has a good mama. I say that all of the time because I want them to know you're embarrassing me right now. And I don't like to say those words, you are embarrassing me, because I try not to start any sentence with you even when I'm talking to adults, because it does make that other person um, defensive when you start a sentence with you. So I always try to start with the sentence, Sim, we're a family who, we're a family who eats together. We're a family who shows kindness. We're a family who rides together to do things. We're a family who enjoys each other's company. We're, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank with we're a family who. Another one that I like to use that I used in the classroom with, I'm not that kind of teacher was a great way to, um, you know, manage problem behaviors. Or I might say, um, with my kids, I say, I'm not that kind of mom. So when they're wanting something from me that, um, you know, I, I don't normally give, like maybe it's candy or maybe it's lots of TV or lots of movies. I might say, I'm not the kind of mom that lets you watch TV all day. Or I'm the kind of mom that, um, you know, puts toys away when you're not sharing. Or in my classroom, I would say, I'm not the kind of teacher that that works on. I'm the kind of teacher that has high expectations for your behavior. So I'm not that kind of mom works really well. It also works whenever there's like a really big, like, um, like a temper tantrum. I love to say, I'm not the kind of mom that that works on. I'm the kind of mom that prefers a soft voice. I'm the kind of mom that likes to be talked to in a mature, calm way. I also like for my children to understand differences between people. So I might say something like, I'm a person who... Or I might say, you're a person who. And let's say that I'm picking out a book for them. I might say, you're a person who loves to read about the rainforest. And I'm a person who thinks about others. So here's a book about the rainforest I thought of, you know, when I when I thought about you. They love that. Or I might say, I'm a person who likes to create things. And you're a person who likes to play with things I made. I made you something today. That's a really great way of sealing in togetherness, Um, thinking about the other person, recognizing differences in each other. My um, kids are very, very, very different. Even though they're twins, they are incredibly different. Um, One of them loves to build things. He loves to construct things and make new things. The other one loves to destroy things. He gets such a kick out of breaking things into a million pieces. We were at um, a pool the other day, and it's a sort of fancy hotel in the Austin area where we live, and I could tell there was about to be a tantrum, and it was in front of a new friend who didn't really know me and my family that well. So right when I saw that my son was having a really great time building up the Jenga blocks, I knew my other son was probably going to rush over there and knock everything over. So I pulled the constructor to the side, and I said, remember, 
You're a person who loves to build things. You had a great time building and constructing that. But your brother is someone who loves to tear things. He's a person who gets joy out of knocking things over. He doesn't do it to be mean. Hmm, what should you do? And he said, well, I had so much fun. And he starts to get kind of anxious. I said, I know you did. You're a person who loves to build and you had your fun. He's a person who likes to destroy. He's about to have his fun. And right then he bum rushes the tower, knocks it over and it goes everywhere. And my son being three, who constructed it, turns around, clenches his fist, and he lets out a big, deep breath. And I said, remember, you had your fun building. He's had his fun destroying. And I'm trying to get him to see that not everybody's actions are mean. People are just very different. And when we go to the gym, there's a woman there at the gym childcare who doesn't use a very soft voice. And it used to really bother the boys. And I would say, I'm a person who uses a soft voice. She's a person who uses kind of a grumpy voice. And they said, yeah, she's not a happy person. I said, she's not a happy person, but that doesn't mean she's not happy to see you. She's just not a happy person. Sometimes happy people use happy voices and angry people use angry voices. It doesn't mean she doesn't like you. So that's a really great sentence. I'm a person who, you're a person who, or that's a person who. And then you fill in the blanks to get your kids to understand how people can be very different with their likes and dislikes, but also how they interact with one another. Another um, sentence stem that I'm like really famous for because you can use it across the board is people love. Our children are natural people pleasers. In fact, as a society, we're people pleasers. We love to make others happy. At least that's how I was raised um, as a female in the South, right? I love to make sure that other people around me are happy. Um, And so when we're going into a restaurant, perhaps I might say, this is a place where We sit in our chairs. People love to see kids who can sit in their chairs. We're going into the library. People love when they're busy working on their computers and they see children and those children are walking quietly. Or I might say, people love to see kids climbing and playing at the playground. They love to see the kids are playing without being mean. These are the types of things that I use to monitor my children's behavior. It's not that I want them to grow up, you know, thinking everyone's going to like them or thinking that they can make everybody happy because that's setting a false example. But I do want them to know that there are certain rules and expectations and societal um, expectations and constructs that, you know, as a community, as a culture, we live together to respect others thinking about others, and we make decisions about our behavior to make others feel more comfortable. So that's people love. And another thing that I use is this is a place where. I like to use that sometimes. Let's pretend I'm going into the grocery store. I might say, this is a place where food is sold. And this was when they were really early. At four years old, they do know the expectations. But you know, at 18 months, two years, or perhaps you have a little bit of an older child who still hasn't grasped this, this is a place where food is sold. This is a place that also has toys, but we're not going to buy toys today. We came to this place to buy food. What might happen if you see a toy and they go, oh, I want to buy a toy. I want one. Yes, it's fun to look at toys, but this is a place where we come to buy food. You can look at the toy. Then when it's time to leave, I'll say time to put away the toys. What should you say? And my kids are so used to this um, script. They usually say, yes, ma'am. And they put it away and they go. This didn't come with lecture, anxious 
you know, anger or threats. This came from very, very early on setting the expectation that you may look at these things. This is a fun time for you. It's fun to look at all the different food as well. But when mama says no, it needs to go back on the shelf. They put it back and they follow me. This is a place where you can walk beside the cart or get in the cart. Um, We're walking into the mall. This is a place where there's lots of people. This is a place where kids get lost. Should you hold my hand or let me wear you on my back? This was all done very early on. And even if you're kind of a late starter with this, if your kids are three or four, even five years old, it's not too late, but it does take a lot more redirection and using of these sentence stems to get the kids used to the script. Sometimes I like to call these social stories, right? Um, Things that we say before a meltdown, before a tantrum, before there is an issue, right? Um, I also like to feel like I'm giving kids freedom in choices by using things like feel free to or you may. Like I might say, you may play with that toy as long as you're sweet. Feel free to put your shoes in the shoe bin. If they don't, it's not that big of a deal, right? But I'm giving them the freedom to do these things. Feel free to set the table. Feel free to choose a book. Perhaps we go upstairs and they haven't chosen a book. Well, guess who has to go all the way back downstairs to get a book, right? Um, You may play Candyland as long as you're not screaming. You may build the blocks as long as you're being quiet. You may sit here and watch this show as long as you're being respectful that this is my quiet time. Um, feel free to skip your nap. And this is for one of mine who just doesn't really want a nap anymore and he doesn't necessarily need it. Sometimes I say, feel free to skip a nap today, but you might need to lay down on the couch and be quiet, okay? You may skip a nap as long as you're quiet. You may skip a nap as long as you're playing with a quiet activity. Feel free to, you may, all of these can be used to help your child to make decisions about their choices, to manage problem behaviors, and to create family rhythm, family expectation, and family cohesiveness. This can also be used in the classroom. Just because I talk a lot about parenting and families and things like that, when I say parent, I just as well mean uh, you know, caregiver or teacher. And when I say your children, I am also referring to your students in your classroom or your preschool center, or if you work at a gym, wherever you go, um, please know that if you work with children, all of this information is for you and can be adjusted to fit the needs of wherever it is that you are working with children. Even if you're not the parent, perhaps it's a niece, it's a neighbor, it's still really wonderful to talk to children in a respectful way, in kind, soft words to where they can understand it. When we use big words and you know vocabulary words, sure, they can adjust to those. But when we speak to them, and they can learn those vocabularies based on the context. So don't, you know, not use big words with children. But when we give big, long, lengthy explanations about things, all that does to children is, first of all, they might tune you out and lose interest, but they start to feel inferior and confused and wondering, okay, they said something about what I can and can't do in here. And sometimes they might choose to act out just to see if they've got the rules correct. I don't believe that children act out because they're naughty or they're bad. Some of them are if there's an emotional or a neurological damage or trauma. Okay. Some kids just kind of misbehave, but for the most part, kids want to behave. They want to do what's right. They want to be proud of themselves. They want to develop independence and self-control. And it's up to us to let them know what the expectation is at different kinds of places. There's one school that my kids go to where shoes are expected and one where shoes are not expected. Shoes are expected when they get their hair cut, but they're not always expected at the grocery store if they're in the cart. These are all things that I want them to understand because if I just say, put your shoes on, they might go, no, I don't want to. 
And then we end up in kind of a power struggle. I always say, oh, we're walking into the hair place for a haircut. There's hair all over the floor that can cut your feet. So this is a place that has a rule about wearing shoes. And then we try to put the shoes on. We're going into a restaurant. People love to see kids wearing shoes at restaurants. This is a place where we put our shoes on. See how I'm combining some of the sentence stems to get various um, you know, understandings about my expectations and creating a rhythm. Sentence stems also, um, after a while, they sort of are like Pavlov's dogs, like the bell. As soon as my kids hear a certain sentence stem, because they've heard it so many times, they want to hear what's coming next. They know something's coming up that's going to help them to manage their behavior and show me that they are responsible and respectful and not necessarily set them up for failure or getting into trouble. Because my kids internalize it if they get in trouble. If they fail at a task that I've set before them, they internalize it. Oh, I messed up, mama. I didn't use kind words. Or I ran today um, when I wasn't supposed to. I hurt a friend and I didn't mean to do that. That is because they are responsible for their own behavior and I want them to internalize it. They take responsibility for their choices. And even though I set them up for failure in instances like, you know, packing their bag or, um, you know, maybe forgetting a coat or things like that, I don't want to set them up for failure Um you know, in a, in a social setting, I want to set them up for success so that they can develop self-control and become responsible over time. That's a lot of information that I gave you. If you find my Patreon page whole heart, I will type some of this up in some show notes so that you can um, either screenshot it or copy paste it somewhere else and save these sentence stems um, to use with your own children because it can be difficult to remember. Feel free to, you may, people love, this is a place where, or we're a family who, those are all sentence stems that I find incredibly important for using with young children. If you want to find my Patreon page, I just started it, so it might not be up yet. You might want to give it a couple of days, but it is patreon.com slash wholeheart, and you can log on to Patreon via the app or patreon.com and find my page, and you can join a monthly membership. There's three different tiers on there to support my personal goals, professional goals, and community goals, and there's also a lot of benefits to joining as a member. There's um, ways that you can access me to offer some parent coaching, or you can also get access to the newsletter where I'm going to be giving show notes, tips, and some bonus content. So please find me on patreon.com slash wholeheart or download the app. Thank you again for listening.